Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Micah. Well, I thought that uh, I'll Fly Away, the old hymn, I'll Fly Away, was a foot tapper. But man, another hymn, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What a wonderful foot tapping song the, uh, the worship ministry gave us there. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here. And, uh, and I'm grateful to get the opportunity to, uh, to preach God's word. I have nothing to give you except God's word. Amen. And so we're excited about uh, Luke 19. Luke 19 is where we're going to be. It's easy uh, to preach this uh, service because we already knew where the text was going to be, right? The triumphal entry, that's where Jesus comes into Jerusalem and uh, is helded by uh, the crowds with palm fronds and all of those other things. So I'm grateful for that. I want to say a uh, just a uh, a place of, of personal privilege having the mic uh, today. Uh, thank you, Children's and Preschool Ministries, for directing uh, the Elkdale Egg Hunt uh, yesterday. And so I'm grateful, God, for the wonderful uh, um, uh, weather we had, but they had such a fun time. Uh, so y'all go on Facebook and look at all the fun they had. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 19, 37 through 44. But before we get started, uh, I want to tell you a story. So little Jude... Uh, listened with deep interest to the story of the prodigal son. Right up to the happy ending when the son returned. The fatted calf was killed. The house was filled with music and dancing. Little Jude then suddenly burst into tears. What's the matter, Jude? exclaimed the mother. I'm so sorry for that poor little calf. He didn't do nothing. If you know that story, uh, it's, it's a good thing, um, but it's also a sad thing. You know, this is the time where uh, uh, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and there's uh, high emotions going on. 2,000 years ago, high emotions. Uh, the people were lined the streets, uh, uh, heralding the king, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, peace on earth, Right? And so they come, and they, and they heralded Jesus at this time. This was uh, just like the, the first Palm Sunday that Jesus, Jesus had mixed emotions. He had mixed emotions, and we're going to talk about that today. There was so much noise and uh, crowds that the sophisticated Pharisees, the experts of the law, were getting headaches. They were thoroughly disgusted with the exhibition and the emotionalism, and they urged Jesus to put the damper on these flaming emotions. Jesus' purpose in the riding into Jerusalem was to make public his claim to be the Messiah, that he is the Messiah and he is the king of Israel in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Have you ever felt so helpless um, that uh, you just burst into tears? And it wasn't just a, 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 just a few tears there, but it was an emotional cry, right? Have you ever had that happen before? This is what happened with Jesus in this text today. We're going to get to walk through. As he's going, there's so much uh, uh, triumphal entry and there's so much celebration going on for the annual feast of the Passover. Yet Jesus had something in his mind that, that made him wept, made him wept and weep bitterly. And so we're going to get uh, uh, to that today. So here's what we're going to look at. How you view the Messiah, how you view the Messiah will determine where you live for eternity, okay? So do you view the Messiah as recognizer, as rebuker, as rejecter? Follow along in the text as I read from Luke 19, verse 37 through 44. Here we go. 
As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Verse 41. And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's pray, church. Lord, open our eyes to reveal the wondrous truths from your law. Allow us to be observant and have attitudes that the Holy Spirit can work with to transform us to follow you more closely. It's in your name we pray, amen. I find the first view in this text is uh, that you can have of Jesus and that they had of Jesus is the recognizer. Look at verse 37 and 38. As he was drawing near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. There's a great celebration going on in Jerusalem. As God's chosen people, the Jews return annually to the Passover feast, to the city of David, to honor him. Remembering the joyous uh, uh, occasion of how the Father God plagued the Egyptians as they were in captivity in Egypt long ago. And you know the story in the book of Exodus how Moses was raised up. He was a Hebrew child. The same uh, Hebrew child or the same court that decreed that all babies, all male Hebrew children be, uh, be killed is the same one that raised Moses up in education in the, in the court and in the Egyptian palace. It's so amazing how God knew exactly what he was doing. And as he did that, Moses was, was raised up. He had some issues. He was a murderer, but God still used him to uh, to bring his people out of Egypt. Y'all remember that? It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. God was with him. But now this day in Jerusalem, people are celebrating and they're emotionally charged up about Jesus. They understand, or they think they do. They recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the same one, just like Moses, that is gonna come and take back from the oppressors, now the Romans, uh, his, his rightful place as king. He's going to liberate them. The crowd recognized Jesus' power from the many healings he had performed to this date, the most recent being raising his best friend Lazarus from the dead. Y'all remember that? And the thing is, they recognized rightly. He is the Messiah. He is the King of kings. The The multitude of disciples, verse 37 says, were not just the 12, but hundreds, scholars say maybe thousands that by now, as Jesus is going from town to town performing these miracles, that they're, they're waiting for him to do this. They're excited. Wouldn't you follow someone if, if we knew uh, that someone was going around healing up folks? I'd make the trip to, to uh, Lounsboro, right? Wouldn't you? I, I would make the trip to uh, Prattville, not just to eat 
at Chick-fil-A, but to see someone heal someone else, right? It's a, it's a good thing. And so that's what they were doing. One scholar writes, there could have been one million people in Jerusalem at this time for the annual Passover festival. As many as 100,000 on the road welcoming Jesus as he rides into his capital city on a colt. Now, uh, uh, on a donkey, right? So here's what we think about, if you can imagine being in a stadium full of watching maybe 22 players playing, right? But these people, 100,000, are watching the one true king, the Messiah, as he comes down uh, the road. Jesus is recognized by the people. The streets of Jerusalem, the royal city, are open to him. And as a king, he ascends to his palace, not a temporal palace, but a spiritual one, because his kingdom is a spiritual one. He receives worship and praise of the people only because he deserves it. No longer does he tell his disciples to be quiet about him, but to shout his praises and worship him openly. They spread cloaks on the ground for him where the donkey were to uh, uh, walk. And it was an act of honor for royalty. What about the palm fronds, children? What, what did they symbolize? They symbolized peace and victory. That's why they were waving them. They were so excited that Jesus was openly declaring to his people that he was their king and the Messiah that, he, that they had been waiting for. This is the only time in scripture that Jesus permitted such a public demonstration of him being heralded as the king. And it's for two reasons. One, it's to fulfill prophecy. In Zechariah 9.9, much of this uh, is, uh, is the crowd really or in, in Zechariah 9, 9, it talks about this, how he were to come to Jerusalem uh, on the foal of, of a donkey. Much of this, the crowd really uh, understood. We can't really tell. But even though they responded by quoting their praises from the Messianic Psalm in, in uh, Psalms 118, no, no doubt many of the pa- Passover pilgrims thought that Jesus would now get rid of the Roman invaders and establish the glorious kingdom. Look at verse 38. They said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The other gospels talk about this triumphal entry. It's really neat to to read the different perspectives there. Hosanna means save us. Save us, Jesus, save us is what they are saying. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And I have another verse from Luke 2, 13 and 14. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude in the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on, the, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do y'all remember where that's from? That's from Jesus' birth, right? Look at that. Peace, peace on earth. And now they're saying what? Verse 38, peace in heaven. They understand, they recognize that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But do they? but do they? The crowds recognize that he's the prince of peace and they think that he will make peace by conquering the oppressive Romans that are in control of them. But that's not the case. Instead, there will be and is constant bitter conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of evil. There would be no peace on earth, but because of Christ's death on the cross, there is peace with God in heaven. You might have a view, church, of Jesus 
as a recognizer. You recognize his power, even that prophecy is fulfilled by him, but you, do, uh, you truly don't follow him as Lord. That might be your view of the Messiah. You may know about Jesus and know verses. You might even uh, don't skip church at all, right? And online, you're, you're clicking onto uh, Elkdale every week, right? You're, you're making those checks in the, block, in the boxes. But if you don't know Jesus personally, then you don't know him. You're not saved. Having a relationship with Jesus is where, uh, a personal relationship with Jesus is where you rely on him constantly, right? And we, we need help with that, but you rely on him. And, and before you make decisions, you filter it through God's word, right? We're, we're all on a journey there. I hope you know him as Savior and Lord. Lord, transform our view of you to be holy and righteous all of the time. So the first view is a recognizer. The second view we find in the text uh, that you can have of Jesus is a rebuker. Look at verse 39 and 40. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the crowd, the very stones would cry out. The second reason Jesus allowed this public demonstration of honor was to force the, the Jewish religious leaders to act. They had hoped to arrest him after the Passover, but God ordained that the Son of God be slain on Passover, not after, but on Passover, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Every previous attempt to arrest Jesus had failed because his time had not yet come, we read in the Gospels. When they saw this great public celebration, the religious leaders knew that they had to act and the willing cooperation of Judas Iscariot helped them in their quest to kill Jesus. The Pharisees in the crowd in verse 39 heard the crowds calling him king, savior, Hosanna, and they wanted nothing of it, nothing of it. They addressed him, look at verse 39, they addressed him as teacher, rebuke your disciples. He was, not only, he was not just a teacher, friend. He was Jesus. He is the Messiah. But they looked at him and they rebuked him uh, from that. And they wanted him to rebuke the others and, uh, because it was, it was um, not right to, be, to call yourself king. It was blasphemous, right? It was a lie, a, a, a penalty um, uh, of death if you, if you did that. They even recognized his understanding of the prophecies in the Old Testament law. But they sought to trap him, push down uh, the surrounding celebration, rebuke them, they urged. This was a problem for the Pharisees. Jesus was not teaching the way they read the scriptures. Did you hear that? Jesus was not teaching the scriptures the way they thought it should be done. Friend, sometimes we misconstrue God's word, don't we? Sometimes we see it and we, 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 we quote it and we do well in doing that. But sometimes we, we mess it up just like Lucifer, just like the devil knows the scripture. He knows it and he twists it. That's not what we need to do, church. We need to know God's word fully. And this is what uh, messed up uh, the Pharisees' political interests. The biggest deal here is that Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. He would... Um, he, he, he just ate dinner with the chief tax collector in verse, uh, in verse one, right, of chapter 19. He's flipping the whole script of what the Old Testament laid out. 
because he is the Messiah. He's the new covenant one. He is the bearer of our sins. The biggest problem with Jesus is that he took power away from the religious leaders of the day. Oftentimes we do this in church. We think in our minds, the church should do it this way. The church should go help the mission project. The the church should should, uh, do it my way. We must be careful not to lean towards selfish thinking like the Pharisees. And I'm saying that generally, okay? Not not specifically. We we do well here at, at Elko. I pray we continue. But I wanna be clear. The church is a body of believers with many gifts and talents and opinions. And we need each one of us. We need our support together through suggestions and and constructive criticism. When you have those good ideas, please tell us. Go to the person uh, that's in charge of that ministry, right? We need to do that. While Elkdale is in transition, we want to be carefully clear about the status and direction of our church. So our direction, by the way, hasn't changed. We're still about loving God, loving others, and making disciples. Amen? That's what our direction is. And it's going to continue to be that way. But we're in transition. Uh, um, Elkdale members and friends, we need to be praying over our deacons right now in this month that they would choose from among us, from among our membership, the best pastor search committee. And by the way, let's pray for them right now. Let's pray. Lord, guide us. Guide us in the way that you would have us go. Strengthen us and give us clarity in the days to come. Unite us as your body, even more so than ever before, that we would be ready to make bolder strides in your name in our community. We pray for the discernment over the deacons and for our church body that you would allow our future pastor search committee unhindered openness with your voice, Holy Spirit, on our next lead pastor. Send us an interim preacher who would teach us your word and get to our hearts and minds and allow us to be ready to be led by someone else. We praise you for Pastor Corey and how he is faithful here. He was faithful here and he will be faithful to you elsewhere. Thank you for hearing our prayers and knowing the outcome of our faithfulness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. We, uh, let's get back to the text. The Pharisees were blinded by their self-absorbed nature. Extremely legalistic when it came to following God in the scriptures. The Pharisees never would have sought out to serve someone else, yet Jesus did, right? Jesus did. They asked Jesus to rebuke the crowds for honoring him so highly. Jesus answers them in verse 40. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus, church, is so worthy of our praise that if we don't praise him, inanimate objects around us will praise him. It's so good. It's so good. And I I get emotional about that because that's what he's saying. If we don't praise, if we don't give him the worship that he's due, inanimate objects will praise him. Look at uh, Habakkuk 2, verse 11. Uh, this, li- listen to this. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. H- Habakkuk the prophet is talking about the, the majesty of the king. So church, what are we to do? To worship him, to be loud about it. Uh, we can do that with masks on too, that's fine. But we need to worship him or the stones are gonna cry out. 
His ways are higher than our ways. Jesus deserves our worship, not just on the Sabbath or the Lord's Day, every day and every minute. With every breath, we owe him praise. Church, you may have a view of Jesus as a rebuker, blinded by worldly desires and accolades, so maybe, uh, or, or maybe so tightly wound up around man-made religious rules that are not even required in Scripture. We need to repent of this attitude. I must repent on a daily basis for this. Lord, transform our view of you. Let us be humble and about your business and not about ours. The third view you can have of Jesus in this text is as a rejecter. So we talked about being a recognizer, a rebuker, and now a rejecter. Look at uh, verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus wept. One other time we find that Jesus cried, uh, and it was at uh, the tomb of, of, of Lazarus, right? His best friend. And so he wept, but the, the Greek word there is different from, from this one. This weeping is, like I said earlier, it's an emotional weeping. It's an ugly cry, if you will. It is one of those cries that is just so emotional and, and tangled up inside. You know that cry. This is what Jesus was doing here. Uh, there, there could not be any greater contrast between the people right now in this time and Jesus. Okay? They are celebrating him. They're saying, Hosanna. The crowd was rejoicing. Jesus was weeping. The people of peace. Uh, the people speak of peace. And Jesus speaks of destruction in these verses. The crowd pronounces on him glory. And Jesus pronounces on them doom. How easily we can just know and praise God from an emotional high. Up one minute and down the next. Friend, that is not our Jesus. That is wishy-washy with his love and grace toward us. Amen? He is not wishy-washy. He is a stalwart. He never changes. He loves us and his grace remains the same. Amen? And he loves us. He loves us. Yet the crowd turns against us, uh, turns against him. The recognizers there turn rebukers at the end of the week. And when they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. A quick few days later, they say, crucify him. And how easily we do that, right? How easily we do that. The second occasion on which our Lord wept openly, uh, the first being at the tomb of Lazarus, and, um, and he wept there quietly, and then he uttered a, a loud lamentation uh, here. Okay, we already talked about that. Let's skip down. No matter where Jesus looked, he found cause for weeping. If he looked back on this road as he, as he looks at Jerusalem, if he looked back, he saw how the nation had wasted opportunities and been ignorant of their time of visitation. If he looked within, he saw spiritual ignorance and blindness in the hearts of the people. They should have known who he was, for God had given them his word and sent his messengers to prepare the way. As he looked around, Jesus saw religious activity that accomplished very little. The temple had come to be, to be a den of thieves, and the religious leaders were out to kill him. The city was filled with pilgrims celebrating a festival, but the hearts of the people were heavy with sin and life's burdens. As Jesus looked ahead, he wept and he saw the terrible judgment that was coming on the nation. The city, the city of David, Jerusalem, and 
the temple. In 70 AD, the Romans would come and after a siege of 143 days, kill, not just destroy the temple and the city, they would kill 600,000 Jews, take thousands more captive, and then destroy everything. Why did all of this happen? It's because the people did not know that God had visited them. They had a wrong view of the Messiah. Last week, I was encouraging parents uh, in their living room about setting boundaries with their families, uh, media, uh, just, you know, watching TV and, uh, you know, smartphone and all of these things. And as I was sitting there, youth pastor sitting there with uh, parents and a teenager and child in there, um, we're talking about, hey, let's put guardrails up for our family because there's all kinds of junk out there, right? So... As we're doing this and we're watching, uh, we're not watching, but the, the local channel is on for the storms, for the, for the news and, and stuff. And the 2 p.m. soap opera comes on. Hopefully y'all don't know this, this one. But as it comes on, there is a scene of worldly lust going on. You, you hear what I'm saying? Okay. Youth pastor in the room, parents, teenager, bright as red now. And so... As we're sitting there and worldly lust is going on in front of our eyes, dad is squirming, right? It was a glorious moment for me. Glad, uh, dad was squirming, but I was watching him. And he said, son, turn the channel, right? Turn the channel. And we did. And we could have glossed over it and kept on going, you know, laughed it off, maybe used it as a sermon illustration, but we didn't. We boldly said, you know what, teenager? You know what, child? That's the world's view of love. And it's wrong. It's wrong. God's view is right. And so parents, as a youth pastor, using every inch of the platform, it's your spiritual responsibility to disciple your children. Amen? That's it. That's it. And we, the church, are with you. We're with you. Okay. So in that moment parents in that moment church we got to be bold we have to not gloss over what's going on around us but we need to be about the word we need to be bold about our witness for christ here the recognizers turn rejectors they rebuke jesus and uh, that's that's exactly what is happening in the text. The world and community around us reject Christ as the Messiah. Our community will not be saved by politicians. Our community will not be saved by good deeds, church. Our community must be saved by you and I recognizing Christ and living out following him in everything we do as an educator, as a man at IP. By the way, welcome IP followers online and, uh, and CSX, right? So, so uh, train, train folks. Y'all are out there on the front lines where I cannot be. Pastors cannot be. You know why you're out there? Because you're called to be out there. You're called to be out there, Christ follower. So bear his name faithfully, right? Bear his name faithfully. Do you view Jesus the Messiah as a recognizer, as a rebuker, as a rejecter? Listen to Romans 5.8. It says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I would be amiss, church, if I didn't tell you how Jesus views us. 
Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus views you as potentially redeemed. Potentially redeemed. Look at the uh, verse 42. Let's pick up there. Jesus says, Would that you, even you, city of Jerusalem, people of Jerusalem, Jews, people in the world, Gentiles, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when, the, when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. Sounds like soap operas, by the way. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He's perfect. He's absolute. There is no sin in him. No faults. There's no one like him. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's us. Every single one of us have fall short. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, we get to have the free gift of God, eternal life. Jesus came. Jesus came not to take his throne uh, physically and take care of the Romans and all of those things, though he could have. He came to save us, church. He came to save us, Selma. He came to save us, Dallas County and the world. He came so that we might have life and, and have life to uh, abundantly, abundantly. So where does that put you? Where does that put you? Does that put you as viewing Jesus as a recognizer? We all, rec I, I recognize Jesus. I also uh, sometimes rebuke Jesus. And I think I know the way to parent my children the best. I think I know the way to uh, lead the youth ministry or, or education or, or, you know, other things. I think I know how to do all of this. I got to seek God out. I got to seek his word. I need to do what he says. Amen? And that's what we need to do. Let's get in his word. Not just on Sundays. Not just on Wednesday nights. We need to get in his word daily. How do we know? How do I know as a, as a human? How do I know that you're a Christ follower? By your fruit. By your fruit. Are you living in Christ Jesus? Man, I want to do that. And by the way, I need help doing that. I need your encouragement. I have a, a group of men that I meet with every week that encourage me and, and, and remind me of God's word, what to do. Uh, I, have, I have many failures when it comes to being a dad, when it comes to being a, a husband, um, although she's not in the room, so I can say that. Um, the thing is, I, we, we, church, we need each other, don't we? We need each other. And so... So did the Jews, but even more so, they needed the Christ. They needed Jesus to do what he was, only him could do, to, to a few short days later, die on the cross for not just their sins, but for ours eternally, eternally. Luke 23, I didn't put it on the screen, but Luke 23, 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He loves us, church. He loves us. He loves us. How do you view Jesus? Now what? How do you view Jesus? Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord? You need to make a commitment. All faith is, is trusting in Him. 
a trust that compels you to change, okay? Trust in him. Believe in him. Understand that this book is real. Jesus did do this 2,000 years ago. And he didn't just do it for these that we talked about. He did it for us eternally. Church, we're not living for now. This life is a vapor, thank God. It's a vapor. We're living for eternity. So let's sow, let's sow fruit for the eternal. Amen? Let's sow it for the eternal. Christ follower, where do you need to grow? Where do you need to grow? Do you need, have you been a recognizer all of this time and then a rejecter? Where is it that you need to uh, confess and repent? Ask for someone else for accountability. That's what the church is for. Takes a lot of boldness to do that. Takes a lot of credit. We need to have real relationships, right? As we uh, talk to each other, as we have accountability with each other. And then the last thing, what can you do to grow closer to him? Is it in uh, God's word where you can have a, a, a daily time uh, of, of getting in his word, of, of putting his love and grace and mercy into your mind? You can do that through an app. You can do that through uh, uh, the, the hard copy. I suggest this. Uh, and, and, and we need to grow closer to God, don't let this just be another service, another Palm Sunday where we don't act on God's word. Let me pray. Jesus, Lord, Savior, Messiah, you alone are worthy to be praised and worshiped for you alone took my place where I should have been for my mistakes. Thank you, Jesus, for beating death. Thank you for having compassion on, the Jeru on Jerusalem and the people there, not just wiping them out right then and there, uh, you are a God of love and peace. It's only through your willing sacrifice on the cross that you made peace with Almighty God forever. As potentially redeemed people, we must understand that we are sinners, undeserving of your love and trust, asking of your forgiveness to make it right in our hearts. Then we must follow you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be convicted of the blindness that we have in the inactiveness of our spiritual lives. Thank you for giving us your holy word, the Bible. We can read and apply daily to become closer to you. Help us not just to maintain what's going on here at Elkdale in our church transition, but allow us to be steadfast, growing closer to you and sharing your message of salvation. God, be glorified here. And let your light shine in Selma and Dallas County and beyond. You are our hope, our strength in this chaos-filled world. Let us get real with you. And have our view of you perfected, O oh God. Please keep us about your business. Safeguard our families as we love you, love others, and make disciples of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.